Inter Miami's climb up the Eastern Conference standings continued this past weekend thanks to a strong defensive performance that included a rare set-piece goal. Hello everybody, welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and yes, most listened to Inter Miami podcast providing all the latest news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much, much more. We also go by the name of Miami Total Football Radio, and we are so happy you are joining us for this week's show. Yes, once again, we are dropping the pod earlier in the week as we used to do before a certain stretch where things started to, or our schedule started to change and we had to drop it later in the week, trying to get back on a consistent path, an Inter-Miami-like path of dropping the pods earlier in the week. So hopefully this is the beginning of that trend. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one-third of your hosting team. And yes, it's one-third and not one-fourth because Steven Primo Brenner is still not in the house, but he is okay. He called me last week, and the legendary enigma that is El Primo had returned to the United States from the assignment he was on, but he was off to Washington, D.C. when he called me. (laughs) But he was off to Washington, D.C., because he's he's reporting and pursuing a I don't want to say it's not it's not a murder trial or it's not a murder development, but there was a passing of someone not not and it has nothing to do with soccer, nothing to do with football, but someone passed and he's been assigned to go find out if it was a murder. So the enigma that is Steven Primo Brenner is away for another week or two, but he has promised me that he will be back. In short order. Before the season ends, hopefully, is what I'm hoping for. But anyway, you already heard the voice of one of our other two co-hosts. That is, of course, Island Jose, a.k.a. Jose Armando. And you haven't heard from her yet, but Andrea Yanez, a.k.a. Ajisita. We'll start with you, Jose, since we heard your voice already. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I think, you know, we're going to have a pretty exciting... um, ending to to the regular season i've i've heard some of the uh, uh of the uh, i've read i should say some of the messages so i know there's people waiting on <laughs> on whether Miami is a playoff team or looks like a playoff team now um so yeah i'm very excited about the pod i'm, I'm excited to talk about harvey because uh i already know he's getting a lot of bad press and so i'm here to tell you all the truth about harvey neville the truth. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm good. Okay, you've piqued my yes, interest with the truth. The truth. Okay. Bueno, Andrea, aka the beloved fan favorite, Ajisita, how are you doing today? Hi, guys. Nice to be here to talk about Inter Miami. I know uh, Jose and I have been called out by name <laughs> because fans are angry that we think that Inter Miami is not a playoff team. We're going to discuss a little bit of that. We're going to talk about Harvey Neville because um, we are accused also, we stand trial because we are accused of favoring Harvey Neville Um in front of some other players, some other talents of the team. So we're going to set the record straight. We're going to have fun, and we're going to talk about Inter-Miami. So we will talk about Inter-Miami, of course, and their most recent victory against 
Toronto FC. We will also talk about, as you guys mentioned, Harvey Neville, who, yes, is Phil Neville's son, but he is on the first team now. He has officially received his green card and signed a first team deal, which, as Jose alluded to, has prompted more comments of nepotism. So we will dive into that. Of course, we will preview this weekend's upcoming game against the New York Red Bulls, which we'll see Inter Miami face off against Lewis Morgan once again. And we'll touch on other topics regarding the team before doing our Q&A session and our final thoughts at the very end. So we've got a lot to talk about. Let's get to it. Okay, guys. So Inter Miami was at home this past Saturday at DraftKings Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and they posted a 2-1 victory over, I don't know, if Red Hot Toronto FC, but hot-ish Toronto FC. Gene Mota scored in the 24th minute. Lorenzo Insignia tied the game up four minutes later, but Ariel Lasseter gets on the end of a well-worked set piece and scores from in close in the 44th. Just before halftime, that proves to be enough for Inter-Miami on the day. This was the starting lineup in a 4-2-3-1 formation. Yes, the graphic designer, the Inter-Miami graphic designer, he or she fooled us once again with that pre-game lineup graphic that looked like they were going to play a 3... What was it? What did they have? A 3-4-3? I think it was a 3-4-3. But they definitely didn't have the 4-2-3-1. But this was Inter-Miami's actual lineup in the game. Drake Callender in goal. You're... Back line from right to left, DeAndre Yedlin, Damian Lowe, Ryan Saylor, Christopher McVay. The first line of the midfield, the Brazilian duo of Gregory and Jean Mota. The second line of the midfield, Robert Taylor, Alejandro Pozuelo, and Ariel Lasseter. That's from right to left and up top by his lonesome Gonzalo Higuain. Jose, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on this victory for Inter Miami? A game in which they didn't play their best soccer. And something Phil Neville noted after the game, and he was he was honest about it and straightforward. They didn't play pretty good soccer compared to some of the most recent matches that they've put forth, but they were able to get it done despite that. They found a way to win this game in spite of not playing well. So your thoughts on this victory against, again, a Toronto FC team that had been scoring goals, that had the Italian imports, Lorenzo Insignia and uh, Federico Bernardeschi. So your thoughts. Well, I thought, listen, it's it's a great, great result for, for Inter-Miami. I mean, this is one of the most important games of the season so far for them, just because, you know, you were able to create some breathing room between um, between yourself and, and, and Toronto. I, I would say this. I would say this. I wouldn't get overly excited about being in a playoff position. I think it's a great result. And again, one of the most important results of the year so far for Inter Miami because you gain confidence, you take a step forward in terms of solidifying that home field advantage, which I think they have been able to do a pretty good job. I think you took advantage of the mistakes and and there's the credit that I want to give Inter Miami because the first goal as much as you want to say, oh, Jean Mota, what a shot. That's that's on the goalkeeper. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's on 100%, the goalkeeper. 100%. There's no that. That's on the goalkeeper. So you need to take advantage of those mistakes, and they were able to do that. But don't get overly excited about this because, yes, you were in fifth place, but you were 
two points away from being far away from the playoffs. I mean, in the what ninth place, tenth place, the window is so tight. In in the last three, two or three spots for the playoffs, it's so tight. You cannot get overly excited about being two points above, or you cannot get overly dramatic if you're two points behind. So I think it's a great result, uh, 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 a must win, and they were able to accomplish that. Listen, at this point, it doesn't really matter if they played wonderful soccer. It only matters if they win because of what happened early in the season. If they win, if they get three points, you move on, you try to get better. If the next game it happens the same, they're not playing at a high level, but you get three points, so be it. That's all you need. Uh, if you play a great brand of soccer and you end up with draws or end up losing games with moral victories, that's not going to take you to the playoffs. So I don't agree with you. That, well, listen, I agree with you that you shouldn't get overly excited, but if you're an Inter Miami fan, I think with just reason you should be excited because the team continues to climb the Eastern Conference standings. And now they finished that night, Saturday night, in fifth place. After Saturday's results, Inter-Miami dropped to sixth place. So Inter-Miami currently is in sixth place with 36 points. Columbus Crew, with a game in hand, are on 35. In seventh, obviously, and then in eighth and ninth, you have New England and Cincinnati with 34 apiece. Charlotte's in 10th, 32. Toronto has 30 in the 11th place spot. So, yes, it is still tight. It's still There's still plenty of likely changes that we'll see in the standings. But for Inter Miami to be where it's at now compared to where it was a few weeks ago and definitely earlier in the year, I think there's reason for excitement there. They're, they're in it. They're in it. Jose, we had said, you and I, at the start of the season, that we did not think Inter Miami was a playoff team. Even you, up until last week, when I said they're starting to look like a playoff team, you said... No, Andrea. Also, I can say it again if you want. <laughs> I can say it again. So you still don't think I they? Wait, right wait, 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 wait. So you still Let don't think they look like a playoff again, team? Franco. You still don't think they look Let like a playoff team? Again. Let us say it again. Let us say it again. Look, they won. This is an important win against Toronto um, that leaves them with six. Uh, that is why we called it a six-point game because it left them to six points difference with Toronto, but. You have to be real. We are not here to tell you what you want to hear. We're we're here to tell you the reality. Yes, Inter Miami is doing a lot better, getting everyone excited. That is true, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that they are going to the playoffs. That means that they are fighting, that they have a chance to go to the playoffs, like Phil and the players are sharing with everyone. But that doesn't mean that they are already qualified. That doesn't mean that we're getting a playoff game here in, in Fort Lauderdale. So. Look, this is only normal with Inter Miami this year. It's a chain of overreaction every single time something positive happens. Yes, so Campana came on and scored two goals. Oh my goodness, we have to sign Campana. He's gonna go to the World Cup, yes. win the Golden Boot, the next big thing of the world, the number nine. Huge overreaction. When it came to Campana. And when also with Iwain. Iwain needs to retire. Right. Iwain is, is done. He's washed. He's a has-been. <laughs> <laughs> and we always thought that here. I don't want to name names. No. Yeah. You're, you're, not, you're not pointing to. any fingers over there? You're not pointing fingers? 
I'm new in the podcast, but I I I I am I I am new, but I am old enough to remember that we we've had that fight many times here. That is true. <laughs> and and there's one more thing. It happens as well on the negative side. If they end up losing two matches, then Phil needs to go. This is the worst team ever. This is horrible. We have nothing here. It's the overreaction is incredible when it comes to this team. And yes. that's why I'm telling you guys here. Just, yeah, it's it's good. It's very good. But don't get overly excited because you, you are in fifth place for 12 hours. It doesn't mean you're the you you really are the fifth best team in the east and you and you depend uh, to go to a playoff you depend on winning your games but you depend also on the results because like franco just said orlando is fifth with the same amount of points but with a better goal difference but then columbus and cincinnati and new england are behind just by a point or two And a better goal difference than Inter Miami. Here we so, go. Here we go. There's the goal difference. Here we go with the goal the difference. Wins, and talking about the losses, Inter Miami has 10 wins, six draws, and 10 losses. So let's not just get carried into telling people that, that we're going to have a playoff game in, hey, in driving. Hold on, hold on. No, no but, one here on this podcast no, says Inter Miami is no, going to have a home podcast, game. No, but. We're talking about the the media and fans getting excited. We, you have to take it step by step because you've been having good results after after losing against uh, New York City FC a couple of weeks ago. You had good results, even the tie with Cincinnati and Montreal. Those are considered good results because you have gotten points and they have brought you to the sixth place where you are now. But you are in sixth place only two or and one point. <laughs> before your rivals who have better records than you. So if you tie against, it doesn't just depend on if you win every no, game. No, or see, no, 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 see, no, no, time out. No, 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 time out. It no. depends on what the other team. No, that is not, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. If Inter-Miami wins the rest of their games, they're in the playoffs because of where they are right now in the standings. They're in sixth place. So if they win out, they're making the playoffs. So they control their own destiny. Just by just by sheer math, Franco, math. okay. Jose, Jose, okay. That's, you know that's not going to happen. That's fine. I'm not saying it's going to happen. happen. Jose, no, but you have to be technical because they are in control. Oh, you, they, yeah, you absolutely have to be technical because mathematically, you think it would be fair to tell people that Inter Miami is going to go to the playoffs Jose, because they're going to win the Jose, rest of the games? Jose, I didn't say they're going to win the rest of the games. Listen, listen. I, 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 Jose, you need a Q-tip. Jose, you need a Q-tip. That is going to be important. Jose, Jose needs a Q-tip, guys, because I didn't say Inter Miami is going to win the rest of their games. I said if they win the rest yeah. of their games, they're in the playoffs because of where they stand in the table. If they were in eighth or ninth place and they... If they won the rest of their games, then they would rely on other results because they would need other teams ahead of them to drop. So... Right now, they are in control of their own destiny. If they get enough points from these remaining eight games, what is they're, they're in the playoffs. Their matches too. They're in the, Inter Miami's in the playoffs. And it, Orlando it, wins Inter all their matches. If Inter Miami wins the rest of their games, which 
No, Franco, it doesn't work like that. Andel, Inter-Miami is yeah. ahead of Cincinnati in the table. So if Inter-Miami wins the rest of their games and Cincinnati won the rest of the games... They which... don't play against Cincinnati. They don't have that in hand like they do it with Columbus. Uh, so Andrea, that's not the point. Wins... Andrea, if Inter-Miami wins the rest of, of their games and is. Cincinnati wins the rest of their games, if they both won out, if they both won the next eight games, they both had the same point total, Inter-Miami would be above Cincinnati in the standings because they have more points than them right now. That's just basic math, Andrea. Basic math. Basic math. So and Columbus, Columbus has a game. Columbus game? has a game in hand. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So how are you saying if Columbus wins all their games, they're going to the playoffs instead of Inter Miami? No, so Inter Miami. Inter Miami will drop to seventh. Inter Miami will drop to seventh. So, so just to be clear, okay. Seven go to the. Anyway, something else I have to pick there, Andrea, is that you again brought up the the negative goal differential last week. You said oh because Inter Miami is at negative nine or yeah they were at negative nine last week that they won't make it to the playoffs, that teams with negative goal differentials won't make it to the playoffs. There are now two teams, as of today, with negative goal differential in a playoff spot. We are in not East. in the playoffs. Orlando City has negative seven. They're in fifth place. As of right now, Inter-Miami has negative eight. And they are in you, sixth. Only one of one of one team with a negative. Hey, you were raving. Up, you were raving about New England, and they had a plus two goal differential, and then they got smacked. I believe, if I'm going off the top of my head here, by Romel Kyoto. Say it. Say it. By Romel Kyoto. <laughs> say it. Miami oh, I, I owes everything. Owes that sixth place to Romel. Kioto. Oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know uh, Romel Kyoto made up all of Montreal CF. But anyway, or CF Montreal. But anyway. New England lost 4-0 to CF Montreal. Romel Kyoto with some goals in that one. And guess what? New England now has a negative two goal differential. The team that you were so enthusiastic about last week because they had a positive yes, goal Franco, differential. It's different because, listen, Inter-Miami doesn't get their goal differentials better. You'll see, we're going to be talking about, about this here, and you'll see when the seven teams that are going to the playoffs, you'll see that only one team will have a negative goal differential. Okay, we'll see. I didn't because know, you have, a crystal, you have a crystal ball now, you can tell the future? Okay, I didn't, okay. Yeah, well, listen, I, this, let's get back, let's get back. Let's the get back to the game, Andrea. We get be saying, we win and we go, because if Columbus wins, if Cincinnati wins, then win, then it's going to be tied for Inter-Miami. No, my Inter-Miami would go light, ahead of Cincinnati. Light, and, Andrea, you are, you're, you're definitely not paying attention to all the details here, or you're, you're missing something, because if Inter-Miami, Columbus, and Cincinnati all win out, let's, or let's just say they get the same point total, because I believe Inter-Miami and Columbus play during this, during this uh, final stretch run of the season. Let's say Inter-Miami, Columbus, and Cincinnati all get the same point total. I'm taking New England out of it since those are the three teams you mentioned. If they all get the same points from here to the end of the year, Columbus would pass Inter-Miami because they have a game in hand. Probably, you know, I mean, in theory, they would pass Inter-Miami, but Cincinnati would not because Cincinnati has less wins right now with the same amount of games played than Inter-Miami. And that is the first tiebreaker, is wins. So Cincinnati would not pass Inter-Miami if they got the same amount of points from here to the end of the year. Inter-Miami would, would be above them. Now, you want to take in New England into yeah. account. New England also has less wins. So you want to throw them into the mix and say if they got the same amount of points as Inter-Miami. But anyway, okay, let, let's get back to the game. Let's get back to the game because we clearly, we clearly we disagree. We cannot say they are a playoff team. because but of, I'm not of, saying are they, they a playoff are team. Play. I'm not saying are they a playoff team. And I, let me be clear. Let me just make this very clear for, for you guys and for the listeners. I am not saying today that Inter-Miami is a playoff team, that they're bound for the playoffs. They're going to make it 100%. I would bet my house on Inter-Miami making it to the playoffs in 2022. I'm saying they look, they're starting to look like a playoff team, like a team that could make it to the playoffs, where earlier in the year, 
I would have said no chance, no way. Jose and I had said it throughout the course of the season, no way that this team makes the playoffs based on what we were seeing. Now, based on what we're seeing, I think there's a chance they make the playoffs. I think there's a realistic chance that they could make the playoffs. Does that mean they will make they it? Could. Does, exactly. Yes. That, but but that, that has, so for me, the conversation has changed because earlier in the year, N-O, heck no, no way it looked like they were making the playoffs. Now, with the way they're playing, and, I've, and I said this last week, I think that they look like a team that could make the playoffs. We will see if they do. It's up to them and how they handle these next eight games. But that the fact that they could is a change in their season from where they were early in the year. Now, let's go back to the game because we've, we've talked about the playoff standings a good bit. For me, and this is another sign of... Uh, this is a sign of a good team in general. And this is a positive sign for Inter-Miami. The fact that they were able to win despite not playing well, is a massive positive. A massive positive. Because that means you can find other ways to win. And that is what usually good teams are a sign of a good team, a characteristic of a good team. Now that does not mean, again, let me be clear, that I think Inter Miami is a good team today. But the fact that they're able to win games despite not playing well, that's a positive. That's a very big positive. Because in the past, Inter Miami had to maybe grind it out like they did in this one. But they would need some very opportunistic finishing. Inter Miami had to play much better than it did in this one to to get points from games earlier in the year. In this one, they did not play well. They got uh, they got they got a a set piece goal, a rare set piece goal which we'll talk about in a bit. As well as a very fortunate a goal as Jose, yes, a gift. Very fortunate, <laughs> lucky goal. Uh, a, a howler from Alex Bono, Toronto FC's goalkeeper. Uh, a nightmare, a huge, massive mistake. So Inter Miami had some fortune in there, but they found a way to win. They found a way to win at home, and they've been very good at Dry Pink Stadium this year. So that to me is a positive sign for them. And again, to me, yeah, that they is the lo- difference. That is a difference, and that is why they are getting better because they used to lose this type of games. They, they didn't have the possibility. After they began winning with that gift of Bono and then Insignia tied the game, usually Inter Miami would have been done by then. We would, we would have been expecting like, okay, they tied. This game is going to end in a tie. But they went and they, they looked for a winning goal and they got it in the end. They didn't play nice. The game was not nice. Toronto handled them. Even though Michael Bradley is, I don't know how many years old, they handled the midfield, Toronto did, but Inter-Miami got the points. So that is an important uh, win, not only for the points and for the standings and all of that that we've been discussing, but also mentally for them. Because uh, Toronto hadn't, uh, since the Italians came on and the new signings came on, they hadn't uh, been defeated. So this is good for Inter-Miami, for the players, mentally also. Um, obviously, there are some still some things that they need to get better. Like you cannot give the midfield away like that, like they did. And I, I know Phil knows that because he said it in the post post match interview. But still, this is positive a positive result and positive mentally for them, for players uh, like Ariel to get goals and 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 all of that. It's positive. Looking forward to to the next few games and to to the end of the season. Winning is becoming a habit for this team. 
it's becoming a habit because they have 10 wins on the year now, the same amount as they have lost. They've won more in their recent stretch of matches. And in the post-game interviews in the locker room, for the few of us that went into the locker room, there was definitely a, a good vibe, a positive vibe, but it wasn't as euphoric as I thought it would be. Andrea, you were you were in there as well. You tell me if you thought it was euphoric. It didn't feel as euphoric as some of the recent games. Like the New York City FC game, I felt like there was much more joy about that one in terms of the locker room vibe than this one. And that's, I think... No, they were happy, but I think that they, in this moment, they know what it will take to get the team realistically to the playoffs. So they know that this was just a step. The New York City uh, FC match that they that they uh, got the points. Well, of course they are the champions and all of that. It was um, interesting, but that was an added like spot to, to to tell you. But this they know that now it's starting to get real. It start it's starting to look like they could be, uh, get better and keep going and keep pushing for the playoffs. So I know the players. You know, there's some experienced players here that that have played in in other leagues in in the world. So they know that if they begin celebrating in this moment just because they won against New York City FC and Toronto and tied against Montreal in their last three games, just because of that, you're going to the playoffs. So I think that is good because they have experienced players, but they also have young players that can be easily impressed. So I liked when I saw them, like, keeping their balance, yes, being happy, yes, celebrating the win, but not as um, euphoric as they were against New York City FC. So you agree with me. Okay, but I, and I will reiterate, I think that winning and winning more consistently now has as much to do with it. Yes, they know that the job's not done, clearly. There's still eight games to go, the, the table's tight, but they've been winning more consistently now. Now, in the past, they were losing, they were tr- they were tying, they would get a win here and there, so it was... You know, more sporadic, more inconsistent in terms of how how they won. So when they won, they really, really cherished it and savored it. Now they're winning a little bit more often. So it's becoming a habit. It's becoming something that they're getting used to. And that's definitely a positive for the the, the, the locker room. It's very positive for the, the mindset and the mood of the team as they head into this stretch run. Now let's dive into the game a little bit more because a key to this game, besides the fortunate goal and the well-worked set piece, was the defense. Defense stood tall. Yes, they gave up a goal shortly after Gene Mota struck off of a heck of a volley from Lorenzo Insigne from outside the penalty area. But by and large... The defense didn't give up a whole lot against one of the hottest attacks in MLS. And, you know, there were moments where Insignia and, and Bernardeschi, they they showed their quality. You could see in moments the reasons why ellos son los diferentes, why they're the different players out on the field, because they have so much quality on the ball. There was one sequence in the first half where Insignia, uh, he cut one way, then he turned the other way, then he started playing some quick one-touch passing with teammates to try to set up a shot at, at the top of the 18. It was It was class... All around on that play. Bernadeschi in the second half, he had one sequence where he he he, all, he turned one way on, I think, Christopher McVeigh. And then he turned the other way in a fluid motion and he got away from him. You know, it, it was the type of things, type of quality that you don't see from every player. But anyway, the defense does its job. Damian Lowe and Ryan, Ryan Saylor, the center back tandem, they do a heck of a job in my opinion. Damian Lowe was voted to the MLS team of the week as a result. He also got the assist on the game winning goal. So Jose... What did you think about the defensive performance in this one? 
Well, I'm going to be honest here. I don't think uh, Toronto was that big of a challenge for them. I, I know they are uh, apparently in good form if you look at the stats. But let's be clear. I mean, both of Bernardeschi and Insigne, they came here and, and they, they haven't been able to work a lot. So I, I don't think I, most of the uh, of, of the problems that Inter Miami had were not because of a collective effort, but of, of but because of the individual ability of the top players uh, on 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 Toronto. So I don't think they were that big of a challenge. I think the game was just um, you know not great, and so I wouldn't put too much value into it. Um, honestly, in the first half. It was more about set pieces. If you go back and watch the game and see the opportunities that Toronto had, uh, almost all of them were corner kicks. And 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 other than that, you see Bernardeschi on the right side and and doing everything by himself. Um, so uh, it 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 doesn't impress me when when um, <laughs> when the defense wow. only concentrates on stopping one player. I like the collective effort when when a team is in front of you and they can do things as a whole as a team then i think the 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 defensive effort i'll be impressed with that so i think they were just okay you know just the usual we have seen uh, inter miami struggle recently but we know in the end damian lowe is a good defender and they can be good and i thought you know they were up to par with the challenge but not overly impressed with my inter miami defensively wow so you one of the hottest teams in the one of the hottest attacks excuse me Come, yeah, but they can have good and, good and bad games, Franco. It doesn't really, absolutely. You know what I'm going by stats. Absolutely. And, you, and listen, you know listen, listen let's, 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 let's be, let's full disclosure here. This was Toronto FC's, if I'm not mistaken, their third game in seven days, maybe eight days, but third game in a short amount of time for the Italian imports. They were probably running on, on very tired legs at some point in this game, as probably Toronto was, Toronto FC was in general. But that's not Inter Miami's problem. Inter Miami can only play the opponent that's in front of it. I'm I'm surprised that you're not giving them more credit for the defensive performance they put forth because again the lone goal comes from a, a volley that comes off of a rebounded shot. It was a it was a shot taken from I'm trying to think if it was Bernardeschi, but McVeigh blocks it and the ball just floats up into the sky and falls down. Insigne with the quality that he has, he tracks it down and as he's falling, he volleys it perfectly into the bottom right corner past Drake Callender. So it was it was a type of goal that you won't see from very many players in the MLS. You know, it's why Insignia is, is the DP that he is and getting paid what he's getting paid by Toronto FC. But besides that, the defense held firm. The de- besides that, the defense didn't give up a whole lot. And Phil Neville noted that after the game, saying that much of the game was played in front of Inter Miami as opposed to behind when, when passes, you know. But remember, get- they have Bernardeschi and Insignia, but they, don't, they didn't have a dangerous nine. Absolutely. I agree with that. But that's, again... This is still so been they, one of this they, is still they been attacking, uh, but they they weren't dangerous oh, okay. to Inter Miami. Even still, they've been even with not having a number nine, they've been one of the top scoring teams in the during the recent run of games. And they've been scoring goals. Yeah, but they, they had a bad night. They had a bad night. I don't feel like you're giving that Inter Miami enough credit for limiting Toronto FC from doing well. Like I, I feel like I feel like there needs the case. I disagree. Because I disagree. Toronto is is not. Toronto is what Inter Miami used to be early on. You know, they had some good players, but they needed time. They needed time to get together, to find a system, to know tendencies, to do so many things that you cannot do during the regular season. And that's why Inter Miami will be even better next year because they will have a core of players next year. They will have more time 
one more preseason to go around. Well, Toronto, they have been trying to go through that, through all, to, through finding what the identity of this team is during the season. And they are top players coming into this league. And so that's why they are making a difference. But individually, and I'm sorry, if they scored 25 goals in the last three matches and they play regularly against Inter-Miami, I'm not going to take into account the 25 goals they score against other teams. I'm just going to take into account what they did against Inter-Miami to evaluate what Inter-Miami did defensively. They can have a bad night. They can have a bad night. And they had it against Inter-Miami. And credit to Inter-Miami because even with a bad night from uh, Toronto, they were able to capitalize on that as well and get three points. Exactly. It's as easy as that. Well, it, at least you gave them credit three. this time. At least you gave them credit this time because I didn't hear a whole lot of credit before. And I, again, I think it's Miami deserves some credit for their ability to shut down Insignia and Bernardeski. Did they have a bad night? Sure. How much is that on them? How much is that on Inter-Miami? That's all but, up for debate. Yeah, but Inter-Miami played a part. Shot, you cannot say they shot it down because Insignia scored. And he, and and he scored off a half volley. What, but what, else did, what else did he yes. do from the run of play? What else did he do from the run of play? And yes, but a goal he, counts. That came because of a mistake of a bad clearance. So you cannot say that it, didn't, that it didn't come. Listen. Again, the another problem. example of the overreaction. Yes, they that is what we are telling you. We have, we the, cannot uh, be saying, "Oh, Damian Lowe is going to win Defender of the Year." And but who's saying, saying that? But who's saying like you guys? You guys, take, you, you guys are you going are to an that extreme. Miami deserves praise for the way they defended. They absolutely, absolutely, the in the game win. for the win. No. For the win, they and, and what was what was the key ingredient for them to win this game? It wasn't the attack because the attack we just said didn't play well. We've just agreed oh, no. to that. It was no, the defense held up and protected Franco, the lead. Franco, how many shots did you see Toronto take? You were beside me. How many shots did you see Toronto? Toronto, how many Toronto finished with 16 shots, four on target. And you're telling me that that the defense was a key for the win when they had four shots. Yes. If you force, if you force a team who has taken 16 shots to only put four of those on frame, then I think your defense is doing a good job. You don't need to put, if you, no, if, you, if, you if, if 16 shots, your winger, if 16, Franco, if, because you play just through the wing. And what, and wingers, can't, a, wingers a, can't take shots on target? Striker. So wingers can't take shots on target, Andrea? Like, I, that, and that's, like, 16 shots from four on target mean that, mean that 12 of those shots were not on target, right? Easy math. So that, to me, is a sign of a defense that's not giving up a whole lot. But I don't think you need to give up. I don't think you need to give up shots. But I don't think you need to give up shots on target. I don't think you need to give up shots on target to be to be considered. Oh, okay, we gave up ten shots on target and we didn't give up any goals. So that means no. I think that would that would say the opposite of what you're trying to say. The fact that they didn't give up a lot of shots on target shows to me, you know, just off numbers, a, a solid defense. And again, take the numbers away. Inter Miami in the second half was under pressure for quite a bit. Ratoneando, as we would say, looking to hit on the counter, just just with the with numbers uh, deep, almost parking the bus, you could say. Ratoneando, aka you know, you know, playing like a mouse, just sitting back deep and then coming out of the hole every now and then to try to find find the cheese or find a goal. So, were you impressed with Toronto? Neither. Ne the game was not a, to me. The game wasn't a good game overall. Neither side was overly impressive. But Inter Miami deserves credit for its organization, for its compactness, for its discipline, for its effort. It deserves, I think it deserves those, that credit for those attributes that that showed in for this me, game. For me, they deserve the that credit for the win. 
What if the game ended 1-1? Would you have been saying the, the, the same thing? I would have still right said now? the defense was the better side. Doubt Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Doubt it. You know, who, you, know Doubt. Who, you know who had a good game for Toronto FC? And you know who I thought did not have a great game for Inter-Miami? I thought Jaden Nelson, the 19-year-old center midfielder, Canadian, for Toronto FC. He had a heck of a game until he was subbed out against Gregory. He gave Gregory fits. Gregory couldn't stop him. I would say to save his life almost because Jaden Nelson was doing flicks, tricks, power buying him. Gregory was trying to pull him by the arm, by the shoulder on different sequences. And Jaden Nelson either flew by him or used some craftiness on the dribble. You know, if, if you have time and you have it T-vote or you have it on ESPN Plus, go back and watch that matchup. Because I was very, very impressed with Jaden Nelson in his matchup against Gregory. Gregory did not look like the, like the steely defensive midfielder that we've all come to expect. Jaden Nelson made him look... Silly at times, silly, and I, I you know, I give credit to Jaden Nelson for for a heck of a game. But overall, Toronto FC did not play well. Inter Miami did not play well. But I think Inter Miami's organization, its defense, its ability to close up shop, ratonear, and see this one out, I think that deserves credit. But let's move on. Let's move on because there's other things to talk about, including that game winner from Ariel Lasseter, your boy Jose, uh, scoring off of a rare set piece, and this was right before halftime, as I mentioned before. It was a free kick from Gene Mota. And instead of whipping it, it was, it was on the right flank. And instead of whipping it into the box to the targets, he plays it low and short to Pozuelo. Pozuelo clips it in to Damian Lowe at the back post. Damian Lowe gets it across goal to Lasseter. And Lasseter just has to push it in. A bit of an awkward finish, but it goes in nonetheless. That gives Aaron Lasseter two goals in the last two games. And that was enough, like I said before, to give Inter Miami the three points. So, set pieces is something I've been I've asked not only Phil Neville about, but Diego Alonso. It's, it's, a, it's an area of play where Inter-Miami has largely, largely struggled historically. Attacking set pieces, anyway. But th- my whole point in all the three seasons, or near three seasons that I've brought this up, or that I've mentioned this, or I've analyzed this, is that they needed to be better for situations and games like this. Because... This is the type of game where, yes, maybe you don't play well with the ball. Maybe you're not that sharp in the attack on the day. But guess what? A set piece can win you a game. And it did for Inter Miami in this one. So that's been one of the reasons why I've been critical about that aspect of play. Especially under Phil Neville. Not only because he's been here longer than Diego Alonso's team. But because on on Inter Miami, excuse me, on Phil Neville's coaching staff... There is someone with the title set piece specialist. And listen, if you're going to have that title, then you have to produce results, in my opinion, because that's what you're being paid to do. If you have if you hold that title, you need to produce results in that facet. Um yes, on the defensive side, of course, try not to give up goals, but in the attacking side as well. Imagine you just have the title like, I don't know, Jose's co-host extraordinaire. But Jose Never says more than two sentences on this show. Like, does he deserve co-host extraordinary? Is he living up to that billing? No. So, anyway, my point is that they needed to be better on set pieces. They were able to find a way to fi- to get one into the back of the net in this game. You know, I-, I asked Phil Neville about it after the match, and he said, he talked about how, you know, throw-ins aren't considered by, I don't know if he meant me or just media in general, but... How throw-ins aren't considered set pieces, but Inter-Miami counts them as set pieces, and they've scored a few off of set pieces. I disagree with that with that notion, but anyway, 
They got one in this game. It proved. You agree with me or you agree with Phil? With Phil. You agree that throw-ins are set pieces? Yeah, they can be used as set they pieces. They can be. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yes, 1,000. I don't know if Inter Miami uses them as set, as set pieces, though. But I will say this. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know for a fact that Inter Miami does train different types of throw-ins and different types of, of creative ways to try to play the ball from, from Los Laterales. And yeah, but there, there, like, there was one play. Uh, Andrea, 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 there was one play earlier this year which I really, really liked. I forget which game it was. I think it was Christopher McVeigh taking a throw in off of Robert Taylor, and it reminded me of street soccer, of football in la calle, because Robert Taylor turns around, he faces away from Christopher McVeigh, and and like the defense, the cat, you know, the defense is like caught off guard there a little bit, and McVeigh throws the ball off of Robert Taylor's back. To himself, so the ball's legally in play because it touched Robert Taylor, touched the teammate, and then Christopher McVeigh took it on the dribble. So they, they definitely work on set pieces, and I know that they do. I mean, excuse me on uh, on throw-ins. I don't consider them set pieces. As someone said to me in the aftermath of that comment from Phil Neville post game, is like, well, yeah, Inter Miami of course is going to count throw-ins as set pieces because if they count just set attacking set pieces, well, there's not a whole lot of goals to look at from there. So they have to count something. Got to count throw-ins then, because clearly on attacking set pieces they haven't been good enough. But anyway, I disagree yeah, with that. But I, I'll, what I'll, I'll I listen to you. Say is you can call it a set piece when you get the ball into the area, not when you're doing a set piece uh, throw-in on your own uh, part of the field. I th- I think I think this is I could be wrong. I think Phil Neville meant it as like they come up with different plays or creative ways to take throw-ins to try to attack, and that he counts. Those moments as being set piece like, which again I don't agree with that. I agree that you know you yeah, could get, you could get I don't creative. Agree completely, if he meant it, if he meant it like that, I don't agree completely. Well, obviously, if it's near your own goal, it's it's not going to be a set piece. Yeah, but if they count, I, it, it, if with, they count it like that, <laughs> uh, it's impossible. You cannot train yeah. that. But yeah. but you, I mean, Jose, you agree with the, with the premise that they needed to be better at it for games like this, where you don't play well, but a set piece can win you the game. Yeah, you need to find a way to win games through set pieces. Although, um, yeah, that that's that's a must for for every team, and 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 even it carries even more importance for teams that are not consistent. Because if you're good at set pieces, then you're gonna have some good results in games that you don't deserve them, right? So. Um, the one, the one thing I would say here, and maybe to defend the set pieces specialist, is that, you know, we obviously put a lot more value into the place when they finish with goals. But I think the, the play over the weekend is a perfect example because the setup is just beautiful. It's a beautiful play, very well designed, very well executed until the end because it is not a clean finish. It is not a clean finish for, from Ari Lassiter. And so if he misses that, then we might be overlooking that play. And it's a great setup. So, you know, we have to go back and we have to analyze the game and see what the set pieces specialist is really doing because he cannot put the ball in the back of the net. It's the responsibility on the players on the field to finish the play. Yeah, but you add that, then you add Pos- now you add Pozuelo and everything changes because no, we we have seen a lot of good set pieces throughout the year, but 
None of the ball, the ball Pozuelo put on Damian Lowe's head. Well, my thought is, if the play is well designed, that's the job of the set piece specialist. It's on the players to execute on the field, and um, they did it this weekend. And you know, it, it really worked out for Inter Miami. Um, but I wouldn't be overly critical of set pieces and the set pieces specialist because. Um, when I see the plays happen and they don't capitalize into goals, uh, um, then I think we should give some value to that as well because the work is there. And uh, obviously for us that we only get to see 15 minutes of practice, um, then, you know, it's, 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 it's harder to judge. I remember um, a few years back um, when Alessandro Nesta was coaching Miami FC, he would allow us to watch the entire practice. And, and he, yeah. when he worked on set pieces, we were able to see them. And then when we saw them during the game, uh, we knew exactly what they, what they wanted to do. And when they worked out and, and they finished on goals, we were like, oh, yeah, I see. I remember that, that play. They, they trained that play. And so we don't have that luxury here in, in Inter-Miami. So that's why I, I don't want to be over really critical about set pieces i want to say something positive about the set pieces is that when they are defending they uh, we saw toronto have a lot of of uh, free kicks during this game and they defended those well um i think they do a good job in defending set pieces uh, of course they have a lot of tall players but i guess that is part of the work of the specialists too because uh, i really like how they defended the free kicks that toronto had a lot, uh, like two of them were were deflected by by the barrera and um i think that is part of the work by the of wall the, by the, the wall yeah by the wall yeah by the wall thank you for the assist and um i, I think that is part of the work of of, of the set piece specialists that they have absolutely right? absolutely but they also needed to produce in the attack especially with the yeah with the, they with were the lacking. especially with the tall the tall players that they added this year ryan sailor damian Lowe, christopher yeah. mcveigh Definitely, you know, they, the, they the needed to do better. There. Should should have more goals than what they have scored in during the season. I agree a thousand percent. I would say that to that See, point. But Andrea, Andrea, wait, Jose, I'm sorry, Jose, sorry, sorry. Andrea did finally give some credit to the defense, though. I just heard her praise the defense. Shh, don't tell her I said that. Okay, Jose, I'm sorry. Go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> no, I would say that you know the center backs haven't proven to be. Yes, they are tall, but they are not very good offensively. Right, like. Uh, what yeah. have you seen from Mavika and Sailor when they play? And and listen, Mavika is really really tall, but he doesn't take advantage uh, of of his height when it comes to scoring goals. I mean, we we I would have to go back into stats, but he might not even have a shot on goal from a, from a set piece from so, a corner. Kick. So I I spoke to a coach last year about Mavika and his and his frame, obviously, and set pieces and. The coach said that it's something that Mabika was still working on at that point, and I imagine that's still the case now, given that we're only a year, a year removed from that conversation, or about a year removed, because you know what the coach told me was essentially that Mabika is still figuring out how to use his frame and how to use his body. Let's not forget, just for comparison's sake, although it's a bit different. Earlier this year, Phil Neville said that you know he they were trying to get Campana to be a little bit more physical, to use his build and his frame to hold off defenders more. And in the beginning of the year, we did not see Campana do a good job at that. 
as the year went on, as the season went on, I think we saw Campana get a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more rough, a little bit more um, physical, or a little bit more uh, jugar al choque, which just you know means to, to to look for contact and not be afraid of the contact than we did prior. So you know I think they're still working on that. But yes, I agree with your overall point that the center backs in general haven't been overly threatening in the attack on set pieces this year. Yeah. Maybe this is the sign uh, of better things to come. Maybe this is the page being turned and they're going to start contributing a bit more during these final games. We'll see. Quickly, Andrea, anything you want to add about Lasseter and Mota before we go switch to the Red Bulls game on Saturday? Anything you want to add? Because they're both the goal scorers in this one. And obviously, I don't think... You know, Mota had an okay game. He was voted man of the match. I don't think he was the man of the match. Phil Neville didn't think he was the man of the match because Phil Neville after the game said he thought Damian Lowe should have been man of the match or was the man of the match. Anything you want to add quickly about either of those two players? Akisita, go for it. I, I wanted to say that I spoke to Ariel after in the locker room and Ariel was very happy with his goal and uh, was. I asked him about why does Phil uh, take him off and he says that he, he is uh, 100% physically but he thinks that he is coming from a, an injury, so the team wants him to be fresh um, for the playoff push, of course. And it also, me llamó la atención, I don't know, it, it, it really intrigued me that he said that the team had, even, I didn't ask him, and he said that the team had changed with the arrival of Pozuelo because Pozuelo has um, a big um, football IQ, but Pozuelo didn't have his best game with Inter Miami. Uh, we can talk a little bit about the lineup and all of that, but um, even though he didn't have his biggest game, he helped the team and he helped Ariel, and, and Ariel says that said that that is because Pozuelo knows the position of every player, him, he knew that he was going to be there and he knew that Damian Lowe was going to be there. So I think that is interesting to know and to, to, to keep learning how Pozuelo has helped this team and his teammates to be better. And, and, and I agree completely that I didn't think John Mota was the man of the match of the, of this match. Closing thoughts for me are two things on this game. One is that, I think part of the reason why Inter Miami did not play well was because Pozuelo no apareció. He didn't appear a whole lot over the, the the run of play. When he did, when he got on the ball and in dangerous spots, was when Inter Miami was at its most dangerous. I think he was involved in two sequences where he he played good balls in behind and or good passes in the final third, and they led to shots, uh, dangerous shots for Inter Miami. But by and large, he was invisible in this one against his former former team. Although again, he technically. Gets a secondary assist on that game-winning goal. Technically, by MLS's stat-keeping, technically he does, even though, again, we all despise secondary secondary assists here. The second closing thought I have on this game was that Emerson Rodriguez did not have a good game off the bench. He had moments in space, in transition, on the counter, in which he could have, I felt, done a little bit more, a bit better, and maybe put this game away. When Toronto FC was pushing numbers forward and there was a lot of space in behind, but just did not have the sharp, that sharpness on the day. There was one play and Andrea and I disagreed on it strongly in the press box late on in the dying minutes when Victor Ulloa plays a very poor pass from the right side over to the left Emerson Rodriguez. And rather than chase it down, which Emerson Rodriguez could have because the, the, the pass didn't have a whole lot of pace, he just like 
laments the fact that it that wasn't played correctly and he just lets it roll out of bounds as opposed to chasing Andrea I hear you but I want to go to Jose because <laughs> you've given your final thoughts on the game save it for your final thoughts of the pod Jose mm-hmm. your closing thoughts on this match no again I just want to reiterate you know the importance of getting three points playing at home against uh, you know a, a team that's chasing you I think you know it's it's a good step forward but just that it's one step Okay, so look, I think they're coming around. Slowly but surely, I'm getting them to come around. All right, now let's switch gears very quickly to this weekend's game on Saturday against the New York Red Bulls and Lewis Morgan, former Inter-Miami player. The New York Red Bulls are, I think this is a very good game. You know, we talked about the Toronto game. We talked about how that was a big six-pointer. This game on Saturday might be just as big because New York Red Bulls are in fourth place and they have 41 points. Can, can I finish? Can I finish? You're, you're can I finish? You're thinking can I f- about chasing the fourth place team when you're two points away. Come on now. Can, can I finish? Can I finish? I guess. But here, here you go again. Chain of overreaction. Okay. I, I mean, I'm giving out just pure facts. I mean, if that's an overreaction, okay. Whatever you say, Jose. Uh, Inter Miami's in sixth place, 36 points. New York Red Bulls are in fourth place, having played one more game with 41. If Inter Miami can find a way to beat the New York Red Bulls on the road this weekend, Inter Miami closes that gap with a game in hand. It's a very big game for Inter Miami. A very big game for Inter Miami. Because losing, as you guys noted, depending on the results, could drop them out of the playoff picture all together. So I will go back to you, Jose. What yes, do you think? <laughs> what do you think about this match on Saturday at Red Bull Arena in no. Harrison, New Jersey? You're overreacting just because Inter Miami won the last game. I mean, if you win this game, obviously it's a great result, but that doesn't mean you're gonna move past New York Red Bulls in the near future. It, it takes more than winning this game for Inter Miami to move past the fourth place team in the in the conference. And if they end up losing this game, it's not the end of the world. They are not out of the playoffs. They will still be in the race. They will be where where they deserve to be. Inter Miami deserves to be in the playoff push in the playoff race right now. They don't deserve to be in third place, fourth place looking for home field advantage in the playoffs. That's just the reality of the 2022 season for Inter-Miami. If you want to accept it, then fine. If you're not, well, you know, I, I guess at the end of the year, we'll know who was right about it. But I would say there's no way this is a bigger game than the Toronto um, FC game over the weekend. I think that's a huge game because you're competing against a direct rival. I don't think in New York Red Bulls at this point is at the same level with Inter Miami. They have they they are not the greatest team that ever played in MLS. I mean, it's not impossible for Inter Miami to win against New York Red Bulls, but I think they won the game that they needed to win especially at home this past weekend. And if they can get a draw in Red Bull Arena, I think they'll be a good result for them. Andrea, your thoughts on Saturday's game? I agree with Jose. I agree um, 
I guess uh, I my opinion is that game, the next game is more important than the game with the Red Bulls because if you get a point in New York, it's going to be a good result. It's going to be a good result for your playoff push. Of course, it's going to be difficult. I don't understand when I was analyzing the table like that at the beginning, you told me that I was crazy, that I was talking, and now you're saying that Inter Miami could be going to fourth place if they win. Well, if they win, they're that a point is, away from fourth place, yes. That, that Yes, that is what I meant when I, I, I talked about the table at the beginning. Results change, and you cannot say that just because you win one game, you're going to the playoffs. But it's going to be hard against uh, New York Red Bulls, especially because of Lewis Morgan, who scored the last game. They won against Atlanta 2-1. Um, to one. Not deal. Everybody wins against them. Yeah, but... <laughs> But um, Lewis Morgan keep, keeps scoring, and I guess he, he will want to score against his team again, his old team again. So it's going to be an interesting mashup. It's going to be interesting to see how Inter Miami goes on the road again after having uh, good results at home. We saw the last uh, uh, road game, road trip that they had against San Jose and Montreal and all the drama and the inhumane comments that Phil had. So let's see how they react to a normal trip from Miami to New York. And uh, if they can get a result, a draw would be good against, uh, against the fourth team in, 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 in the table. And a win would be spectacular. Lewis Morgan on the year has 11 goals and four assists. Not sure how many of those are secondary assists, but he has 11 goals and four assists by MLS. That's in 25 games, 24 starts for the New York Red Bulls. A heck of a season for the Scotsman who occupies a bunch of different positions for the Red Bulls, or has this year. He doesn't always just play out wide. He sometimes plays centrally, and, you know, he's shown off his finishing touch. He's definitely relished this move to to Harrison, New Jersey, or, you know, New York, if you want to just go by the team's official name. Again, I think, listen, if Intermind can find a way, doesn't matter if they play ugly, if they can find a way to win this game and get within a point... Then I think next week you guys are singing a different tune. I think you guys will change your your tune a lot more about the direction Inter Miami's headed in. Because if they can go in there and beat... The real important game is against Columbus, who has a game less than Inter Miami. Again, if they can go into the, into the Red Bull Arena and win this game and get within a point, fourth place, that sets them up nicely. That sets them up very nicely for what's left in the year. Franco, we we do have to points. take... Two points. You're right. Sorry. Two points. Two points. Sorry. Yeah, two you're points. right. You're right. Sorry. Poor math. Poor math. I did too much math early on. Now I can't do any. Okay. But look, Inter Miami beat the New York Red Bulls earlier in the year at Drive Pink Stadium. Two to zero. That was back in late May, May 22nd. Goals from Ariel Lasseter and Robert Taylor in that one. I remember that game clearly because I, I remember seeing the Red Bulls struggle to press. You know, they're a high pressing team, very energetic. They like to, to cause havoc and chaos and, and force you into 50 50s and second balls. They, they don't like the game to be pretty. They like the game to be ugly. And that's what they, they prize themselves on. A lot of running, a lot of hard work. They weren't able to pull that off effectively in South Florida in the heat and the humidity. But at home this weekend, I imagine they'll have a bit more success with the press. Now, curious to see how Phil Neville and Inter Miami approach this one in terms of the game plan. Do they look to play through the press? Do they look to play over the press with long balls and diagonal switches? Do they look for Pozuelo and hope that he can create with Higuain? It'll be very interesting to see their game plan and how they go about this one. Very quickly, 
so we can wrap up this first segment. Jose, how do you think Inter Miami should approach this game? Um, I think they need to find that balance and they need to recognize um, early on um, what, what the match is going to look like for them in terms of is New York Red Bulls being uh, aggressive? Are they dominating the tempo of the game? Are they um, winning the, the second ball? Are they winning the 1v1 battles? Then, you know, you take a defensive mindset because if they do all that, that means they will, pretty mu- they will be pretty much in control and they will be having a good night. If that is not the case, then you need to recognize that maybe there's a, there's a possibility that maybe you can get three points out of this. Maybe if you're um, if you know when to attack, if if if, if you won't know um, how to react to the mistakes that might come out of the back out of a team that yes they are in fourth place, but yeah they can actually start thinking about New York City. They are four points away. They are five points away from Montreal. So. You know, it's important for them to get three points. So if you're you're able to find that balance and recognize the moment, then I think, you know, that's that's the mindset that the team should bring. Um, Just because you're in the middle ground here, whether you are thinking that you are close enough to New York Red Bulls or whether you're thinking as well of not getting out of the playoff picture. So they are in in between in that decision. And I think New York Red Bulls would dictate – uh, what Inter Miami needs to do early on in the match. So the key to the game is, in one sentence, to find that balance. Find the balance. Okay. All right. Andrea, anything you want to quickly add before we close out this first segment? Hopefully, uh, what I wanted to add. Hopefully, we don't see a change in formation again, and hopefully, the team can play and can compete like we saw them and competing at home these last two matches. I think we might see an Inter-Miami team that avoids playing out of the back. I think Phil Neville might, again, he, he's played, he's tried to play or have the team play a bit more as of late. But I think in this one, given that the Red Bulls are at home, given that you know their penchant for forcing turnovers high up the field, I think Inter-Miami will look to play long. And I think that's the key, just avoiding... Those mistakes, avoiding playing into the Red Bulls' hands. Yes, you want to try to play good soccer, good football. But if in trying to do so, you give up a goal early on or you give up a goal that puts you behind, I think it's going to be tough to to come back against the Red Bulls in their place. Now, Inter Miami has shown that pension, that habit of, of not saying die until the very end and being able to pull out results. But I think, for me, they just have to avoid playing into... The Red Bulls' hands. Don't don't do what the Red Bulls want you to do, which is knock the ball around and in, in your defensive half and and risk potentially turning it over in dangerous opportunities that they can then quickly transition into attacking moments for themselves. I think playing long will be the game plan, and I think it should be the game plan in this one to give and remind me their best chance of winning this game or at least getting a draw out of it. But anyway, all right. That does it for this first segment. We will take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about a couple of players, Harvey Neville and Matias Pellegrini. And, of course, do our Q&A session. We will do that after this.
Okay, guys, before we get to the Q&A session, we have to talk very quickly about two players, like I mentioned before. Let's start with Harvey Neville, who is officially an Inter-Miami first-team player. He received his green card, as did Father Phil Neville, and he is now signed to the first team as a result. Obviously, this has prompted talks of nepotism from people on social media, some members of the media. What do you think, Jose? You said you were going to tell us the truth. Let's hear it. Yes. Um, the truth is that Harvey is a good or will be a good MLS player. He's a, a, a good MLS caliber player. So it is completely unfair. And I know this is that that's the easiest thing to do. Check who's the head coach for Inter Miami. Check the last name. Check Harvey's last name and come to a conclusion. That is not why he's getting a spot in the first team. That might be part of how he got to Inter Miami initially. Yes, that might be part of it. But that might, that might be part of it? Might be part of it? Yes. No, that is part that, of it. That is how he ended up in South Florida because his dad is the coach of the team. And that has been publicly announced. Oh, no, but, no, no, but, that, you, past, but then you can't, say that's, no. you can't say that might be part of it because it is part of it. Well, it's not might. It is. I was, not, I was not there doing the signings and all that. So that might be part of it. <laughs> but we, are, we have moved past that conversation. The kid has performed. We saw it in preseason. We have seen it with MLS Next Pro, although I'm not going to come here and, and tell you how many assists and all this and that and the GPX and uh, how many miles he run. All that. He's a solid player. I, I don't need all that to know that he's a solid MLS caliber player. So, I mean, people can say whatever they want. I'm just letting you know right now, right here, that the kid earned a spot in the Inter-Miami roster for the 2022 season. That doesn't mean that he should be with Valencia or he should be with Manchester United or he should be with Montreal in MLS. That means he's good enough for Inter-Miami right now. Now, I don't know if if that's going to be the case next year. Maybe they bring more players and, you know, he's he's not good enough if, if you have better players in the roster. But as of right now, I think he earned a spot in the first team. So I just want to clarify that because I have the luxury of being able to watch him play in person, watch him play for MLS Next Pro, and um, I know... Not a lot of people have that, right? Because we know how many people cover the team. But I just want to put that out there just in case somebody's listening and writing a story or writing a tweet or writing a Facebook post or whatever or Instagram reel or whatever, just making an assessment without even looking at him a minute or two on a football field. So. I would say this is a public service announcement. There you go. There you go. And Harvey Neville has signed a deal through the 2024 season with team options for 2025 and 2026. There's definitely, I understand the perception from some people, and there's definitely an element of nepotism here. Does, you know, I would say he's been okay with the second team. He's been solid to okay. 
I want to say he's been wow or spectacular or amazing or incredible. Been okay to solid. There's definitely a need for another right back in the first team roster. Or there was. So him filling it, okay. Although they've waited for him for much of the season to fill it. Because they always knew that they were going to sign him. There's definitely, definitely for me, an element of nepotism here. And look, the press release Inter Miami puts out, it talks about, you know, the deal. And they have a quote from Chris Henderson talking about how he's developed with Inter Miami CF2. Yada, yada, yada. Nowhere in the press release does it mention that he's Phil Neville's son. Nowhere. Which is obvious. It doesn't have to. But it's obvious, Andre. It's obvious and clear that everybody knows that he's his son. So why ignore that fact? Why try to avoid... But why try to avoid that? Why try to avoid that in the press release? You don't see Toronto say, oh, Bob Bradley is Michael Bradley's father. Or, oh, Michael Bradley's father is the Toronto's Coach, you don't see that. Is is I I don't I don't agree that Inter Miami had to say that Harvey Neville is Phil Neville's son. They have a professional um, relationship in the club, and that is what the club needs to mention. Their blood relationship is not important for what happens in the training grounds and in, at Inter Miami and at the stadium. So I don't think that they should have said that is his son. I think I I also agree with Jose that I think it's he, disingenuous he not to not to not to acknowledge it. I think it's disingenuous not to not to acknowledge it because no, it's, it's clear that he's his lot. son. We know everybody knows that's his son. And listen again. Yeah, but it doesn't matter, Franco. It has happened a lot in in football in in South America, in Europe, in Honduras, everywhere. It happens a lot because play uh, the sons of players and daughters of players want to become uh, also players. So we. Have, have seen this a lot and it's not a big deal is some people can call it nepotism but I, I had told you in the past when you asked me if I would prefer Harvey Neville or Noah Allen I told you I would prefer Harvey Neville because footballistically he deserves it the opportunity to be a first team player and to prove himself not just because he's Phil's son or whatever I think Harvey is a complete player he had a, uh, a complete upbringing when when he had his time at Valencia and he learned a lot of things that will make him a good player for MLS so I don't think that it's nepotism or it's because of his father but I, I can see how people can think that but I, I see it as normal as I have seen him I have seen this position a thousand times, and I just mentioned one, another one in MLS with Michael Bradley. And guess what? And when Bradley. Michael Bradley played for Bob Bradley at the U.S. Men's National Team, they're absolutely initially on talks about nepotism and why Michael Bradley was starting in that midfield over other players like Benny Felhaber, Marisa Du, Jermaine Jones later on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was definitely that conversation, and. But they were wrong, exactly. Michael Bradley is the best midfielder that they had had in the last 10 years. And guess what? Early on, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the best. And yet he stayed in that midfield over and over and over again, despite not being the best, despite being inconsistent. He developed into a very, very, very good player. But that could be, for argument's sake, because... Michael Bradley. Okay, that could be... In, that could have been... He could have developed in part because he got so many appearances, sometimes arguably undeservedly, with the U.S. Men's National Team. But anyway, that's not the point. I'll take. I'll give you a quick down memory lane very quickly. Harvey Neville, when he first started training with Inter Miami in 2021, it was because he was just in town to see his dad. And he was just doing it to stay fit as he assessed his options for the next stop in his burgeoning, blossoming career. He even played 
in a scrimmage, a preseason scrimmage, when the first team played the reserves of the first team. So first team starters versus first team reserves. He was the only player from either the second team or any guest player that, that started in that match. And he did so in central midfield. And then Phil Neville said, oh, no, like he's not here for to be signed. He's just here to, to be with his old man in South Florida and spend some time together. That didn't pass the sniff test for me then. Clearly, that's not what happened. He, was, he ended up being signed to the second team. A year later, he gets signed to the first team. So there's definitely elements of nepotism here. And, and look, again, I think he's been okay to solid with with Inter Miami too. So I'm not saying this is completely undeserved for him or anything of the like, but there's definitely a layer or an element of nepotism here for me, 100%. But we can agree to disagree. So let's move on. We'll see how, how he fares when he does play. His his performances on the field will do the talking in the long Franco, run. Franco, can I say something funny? that uh, you mentioned Phil getting his green card also when we were in a press conference and he said that he was going to make his trip to get his green card back to England. He thought that he was he was becoming an American citizen <laughs> with his green card and a press uh, officer for Inter Miami had to explain that it was just his green card. Right. <laughs> Because he said, I'm going to be an American the next time I see you. He said he, he, said he was going to run for president too and obviously that's, yeah. you know, that's, not, that's not the case. It's not the case. Obviously he was joking, but that's not the case. Anyway, all right, uh, quickly, yeah. second, second player to talk about, Matias Pellegrini. He has been put through waivers and is now with New York City FC... Andrea, just your thoughts on, on that. Well, I guess it's a good move for Matias Pellegrini. He's going to a team that is uh, the champions of this league still. They can be uh, the campeones this year if they good, uh, if they are, continue to be good. Uh, it, it's going to be good for him because also, uh, Tati left. Um, they need some new talent. He's also Argentine, so he's going to come. And, um, and make them better. I think Matias Pellegrini is a good player. Um, I just wanted you guys, since you guys are the experts in American sports, to explain to other people that listen to us out of the country, what does it mean to get off waivers, please? Andre, I don't have the energy to explain <laughs> what MLS's funky rules are. Look, Matias Pellegrini, Matias Pellegrini was bought out in 2021 because Inter Miami had too many DPs. They had to get rid of one. They bought him out in in theory. Then they had, but he was still on the books overall, which is very confusing. He was loaned out to Estudiantes with a purchase option. They did not trigger that. You know, Estudiantes in Argentina, the club he he started his career with, he came. He came back in this summer to Inter Miami to train as they sorted out his future because, again, he's not on the roster. He's not eligible to play on the roster, but still on their books. So they were still in charge of him to figure out a solution. The solution is that they waived him. Okay. But, you know, why couldn't they do that to begin with? But they waived him and New York City FC picked him up. So he stays in MLS. He'll be on a direct competitor in the Eastern Conference. We'll see how it goes for him. It's not a bad team to be a part of because... We've yeah. seen in the last few years that they, they do tend to develop good attacking talent. So we'll see how it goes for Pellegrini. That book, that, that's, that chapter is now closed. So no more confusing Pellegrini conversations, at least for a good while. Okay, Q&A session time. Let's start with Eric Yanis, who I always thought, or I thought early on, Andrea, that this was... A relative of yours, because his name is spelled his last name is spelled exactly the same as yours is. But 
as you've told me, he is not related to you, unless you're lying to me. But Eric... Unless he's my last, long lost brother, cousin, or who knows? There's only one cousin <laughs> on this show, Andrea, and that's El Primo. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eric Yanez says, going to our first game Saturday, any matchups you're excited to see? I will ask Jose quickly to give me a matchup or any matchup that you might be excited to see on Saturday. Well, obviously, uh, Lewis Morgan, right? Whoever his matchup against, I want to see that because I, I, I would, I would imagine that Lewis Morgan has been waiting for, for this match. You know, obviously they played here early on in the season, but it's, it, it's different when you, when you obviously he's going to be a lot more comfortable in New York. I don't know what the weather is going to be like. It might be hot <laughs> over there too. Meteorologist Jose is back in the building. But since you know every team struggles here. Um, I, I would guess this is the comeback game for Lewis Morgan. So any matchup between Lewis Morgan and, I guess, what, Yetlin? That, that could be a good matchup. Assuming he plays on the wing. Um, assuming he plays on the wing. Because he, right. he might play central. Yeah. I'm going to add one matchup for Eduardo. Andres Reyes against Iwain. Well, Andres Reyes probably isn't starting. And he's probably not playing. He started the last game. Yeah, but he probably won't start this game. And and it's, it's it's Eric, not Eduardo. Eric. By the way, speaking of Eric, oh, Eric I'm sorry, I need Eric. I need to give Eric a big shout out because Eric's been a long time listener. He's asked questions occasionally, but he's a long time listener despite not being from South Florida. He is based off his Twitter profile in Ridge, New York, and obviously this that would explain why this is, will be his first game this weekend. Red Bull Arena is much closer to him than Drive Think Stadium. But that said, I, I believe he's an Inter Miami fan. I, from what I'm, from what I understand, he's an Inter Miami fan. Just lives f- further away, so I believe he'll be rooting on Inter Miami. I could be mistaken. Maybe he's a Red Bulls fan. But if he's going to his first game, and he's been listening to Miami Total Football Radio for possibly from possibly the first season, then I believe he's an Inter Miami fan. So shout out to Eric Yanis for being a faithful listener and uh, Inter Miami fan from far, far away. Next question comes from Jason Siegel. What is the status of Leo and Coco next week? So, Inter Miami had practice on Tuesday, but Phil Neville did not speak. He will speak on Wednesday after we record this show. So, we don't have an exact status, but I can share this. Campana is ahead of schedule. He did some, from what media could see on Tuesday, some running around the field with a trainer, a physio. But no ball work as of yet. Coco is back in practice. So if you're asking me what I think their statuses will be, not what they actually are. No inside information yet, there yet or not enough information to, to provide you with actual concrete answers. I would say I think Coco will be in uniform. Campana probably still too early for him. Okay, next question. Miguel Paz. This one goes for you, Jose. Do you think if the playoffs started tomorrow, Neville will put out the same starting lineup or the same starting 11 as the Toronto FC game? Ah, that's a good question. That's a good question. I would say yes. Yes, I would say yes. But with some hesitation, just because if they finished seventh, per se... I can see them going on the road and being a little bit more defensive minded, but um, uh, I would say yes. I would say yes. I think they they can use the same starting lineup. Uh, I, uh, I I I would I would only change Sailor, um, bring McVeigh as a center back, and then see how Karen Gibbs is feeling. 
to yeah. to put him as a left back. I, that would be it. I think those are the only two real uh, question marks in the starting lineup, right? It, the, I think much of the starting lineup is established and, and set there. I think the only two that you could potentially talk about there is do you put McVeigh inside and Gibbs on the outside as opposed to having the inexperienced Sailor in there or leave it as, as it is now? Or and the second one I would think is Lasseter as a winger starting or Duke in the midfield starting. You know, one of you know to, to make room for Duke and, and you'd have to change the formation, but or you know you'd have to change the personnel there a bit. And I think Lasseter is the one. So it's I think those are the two spots: left wing and left center back that are a bit of a, a bit of a question mark. I think everywhere else on the field, I think the starters are are pretty much set set in stone. So. Let's move on. Last question we'll we'll talk about here is from Doe Snows. He says, Did we receive any compensation from Pellegrini heading to New York City FC? We got lucky to get something in return for Carranza and Lewis Morgan. Do you see Chris getting rid of Robbie Robinson and Nick Marsman? So the answer to the first question about compensation is simply no. Inter Miami received no compensation for Pellegrini. He, again, was waived. So that does not entitle Inter Miami to anything in return from New York City FC picking him up. As for, do you see Chris getting rid of Robbie Robinson and Nick Marsman? You know what? Let's make this question our final thought. All three of our final thoughts. Unless you guys have something really, really, really important that you guys want to share. Let's make this all of our final thoughts. Because I would like to hear all of us answer this. Because this is a conversation that we've had, I think, off, off mics, off air. And something we talked about, Andrea and I, with a few other media members, this past weekend, once again, in the press box. Because... I think I've mentioned this before, when there's rain delays or even before games, a few media members tend to come around a certain section of the media box where Andrea and I sit and we tend to have good hearted debates about the team and what we think about certain players and certain games and etc, etc. We we get into real football conversations. And Robbie Robinson is a regular topic that's brought up there because there's a section of the media in the press box that thinks he has a lot of potential and there's certain sections of the media, myself and Andrea included, that do not think he has a whole lot of potential. So let's dive into this. Here, do you see Chris Henderson getting rid of Robbie Robinson and Nick Marsman? Right, let's let's assume that he means for next season. Dos knows. Let's assume that Dos knows means for next season. I say yes. Spe- Nick Marsman, definitely. Robbie Robinson, possibly. But I don't see Robbie Robinson having a, much of a long future. I think Robbie, if Robbie Robinson stays because he has another year on his deal guaranteed, but I don't think he'll be here much longer because he hasn't shown a whole lot and I've talked about what I think of him as a player, but just look at the production, take away my analysis or my my opinion of him. Just look at analysis of his career to this point or his time with Inter Miami. He's had moments in bits and spurts, but very inconsistent and also very injury prone. And that's obviously not not good enough for a team with aspirations like Inter Miami. So I do think that they'll look to move definitely Marsman, possibly Robinson, but I don't think Robinson is long for Inter Inter Miami. And, and then an interesting note that I want to add into my final thought is that Robbie Robinson, and this is information, he's dealing with an injury right now, obviously. He's rehabbing in Boston. He's not rehabbing in South Florida. He's not doing, you know, his exercises and his drills under the watchful eye or under the direct eye of Inter Miami's medical team. He is working with a doctor in Boston that he has worked with in the past. And yes, Inter Miami obviously communicates frequently with the doctor and to, to see how Robbie Robinson is doing and you know exchange the information that they need to exchange. 
But Robbie Robinson, interestingly enough, is not in South Florida training here or, excuse me, rehabbing here like, you know, other players have when they've had injuries. Whether it's Breck Shea, whether it's Ian Frey, Leonardo Campana. Obviously a bit of a different type of injury, but worth noting, Robbie Robinson's in Boston, not in South Florida. So, you know, you could read into you could read something into that if you would like. Whether, you know, he's he's truly invested in being in South Florida, truly invested in being with Inter Miami. Yeah, I think I think that's it's a fair conversation to have. But anyway, that is information. He is in Boston, not in South Florida, not in Fort Lauderdale. Jose, do you see Chris Henderson getting rid of Robbie Robinson and Nick Marsman? Um, what's the contract situation for Nick Marsman? Is he out of a contract this year? I believe if he still has a contract. Not, yeah, I think uh, that's what I thought. If he still has a contract, he'll be staying. I think he, he he'll stay. Um, uh, about Robinson, they might be looking for. They might be already looking for for a team for him. But I don't see, uh, I don't see a, a big list of teams waiting for a response on what what's required for Robbie Robinson to leave Miami and move on. I just think Robbie Robinson at this point, you know, hasn't shown enough, and um, I think the development part it's it's going to be really hard for him. And um, because I haven't seen much, honestly, it's he's the same player that stepped on the field for the first time, and we saw something from him. I, at least he was energetic, and he continues to be energetic, but no football at all. Just energy runs a lot. No football, so it's gonna be hard for him to get a spot in Inter Miami. The way things are right now, with the way the players are performing. I can't imagine Robbie Robinson starting at any point. And I'm assuming things will get better next year. So it's going to be even harder for him. So I don't know. Maybe he gets the shot in USL League One or something like that to get uh, try to get the career back on track. But I don't see him in Inter-Miami for too long. Andrea. I didn't want my final thought to be about Robbie Robinson, Franco. I'm <laughs> going to have a word with you after. But it is well, what it is. Um I definitely think Inter Miami should move on from Robbie Robinson. If Chris Henderson doesn't do it, um, I guess he's not doing a good job because of all the things that you both have said until now and also because he doesn't bring anything to the locker room. You're talking about he's doing rehab in Boston instead of being here with his teammates when they're fighting to get to the playoffs, when they're fighting to survive, when they were fighting to survive. He's not here. Yes, we've seen players go and do the rehab in their countries, in their hometowns or whatever you, you want to call it, but they come back to be with the team, to be responsible, to have duties. So when they're when his teammates see that, I guess, He's not very light in the locker room because he, he doesn't put the passion. He doesn't put the commitment like all of them do. I've seen Ian Frey every day that I go to cover this team. I've seen to, Ian Frey. To be fair, hold on. Facility. To be fair, Ian Frey is a South Florida native. So that's just to be fair. To be fair. Yeah, but Breck Shea, Breck Shea, I, I use Breck Shea Breck as a better Shea, example because yes, he's here. That is what I was going to say. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it doesn't matter where you're from. But Breck Shea is here. Uh, Ian Frey is here. Karen Gibbs was here. He didn't mm -hmm. go back to England. He mm -hmm. went to visit his family and came back. Mm -hmm. But uh, Nick Marshman was here also. He went to mm -hmm. he went to visit his family, but he came back. Yeah. And Robbie Robinson has been gone since he got in. 
factor. So where is the commitment? Where is the commitment? Not just to the team, but to your teammates that need your support in right. this important moment that the team is leaving. So right. I guess if Chris Henderson doesn't get rid of him, it's going to be a fail from his part. And with Nick Marshman, I guess he will, if he has a contract, he will stay. I don't, I think he's comfortable here. Yes. He would like to be a starter, but it doesn't get any better than living in Miami training here. And uh, he's already been a couple of years here in South Florida, so I don't think he wants to leave. I'll just add this. Nick Marsman's on a guaranteed compensation per the MLS Players Association of $587,000, so, or approximately $587,000. For a backup keeper, that's that's a good chunk of change. So I think if the calendar's the guy, which it looks like he is going forward, yes, they'll they'll need a number two. But I don't think you need a number two that makes up that much money, especially when you're still dealing with the sanctions that Inter Miami has. So I think they look to move Nick Marsman on. And I think Nick Marsman, when it's all said and done, he will want to be playing. He'll want to be playing. So I think this will probably be his last year, given where we stand today, the direction things are headed in today. For Robbie Robinson, again, I agree with Jose. I think he said it perfectly. There's not a lot of football there in him. He's, he's more of a physical specimen than he is, uh, you know, technically talented as a footballer or as a, as a soccer professional soccer player. But I think there's a chance they keep him because if he has another year on his contract, as part of his initial deal, since he's a member of Generation Adidas, it doesn't count against the cap. So essentially, the Inter Miami could have him on the books with, for no cap hit for another season. So that could be a reason why they keep him. But again, I don't think he's he'll be around much longer in South Florida because... He just hasn't been able to put it together, hasn't been able to stay healthy, and there are definitely questions, at least from the outside, and definitely from our part and our seats, about his commitment, and this injury is, is one of those one of the reasons why we have those questions. But anyway, let's leave it there for the Q&A session and this week's show. We'll be back again next week to continue to dive into Inter-Miami season and see how their playoff push goes. So, for Jose Armando, for Andrea Yanes, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again next week.